Merry Christmas. Man, what a great time together, right? I almost feel like this is a Christmas Eve service because it's so close to Christmas Eve, and it's not actually an evening, but it's Christmas Eve Eve, which is kind of cool. And I kind of like, you know, sometimes if we have a holiday service, we have a little uh, fewer folks here. I kind of like that. I mean, I'm, I'm always, you know, excited when you see a bunch of people, but I kind of like a small setting where we're like in a den, you know, almost. We're kind of sitting around and we're climbing into God's Word and celebrating this season of the birth of Christ. It's, it's a sweet morning already. I'm thankful for the time in worship. I'm thankful for your being here. Um, man, it's so good. I was thinking that we've already prayed twice this morning that I know of, and I'm going to pray again, and you'll probably hear a few more prayers over the course of the morning. It's a very much God-attentive experience that we're having this morning. We are inviting him in and asking him to speak to us, to show us something that's so profound that it changes, not necessarily our circumstances, but it changes us in our circumstances, which is huge. That's in some ways better than changing your circumstances. So that's what we're hoping for in these next few minutes. So let me pray toward that end. We're also going to pray for um, a friend of many of ours, that is a local cyclist that was hit on a bicycle a little over a week ago, right? Not even a mile down the road. And uh, he is, um, we've had some very, very uh, frightening updates. Last night, it looked really grim. And this morning, we have an optimistic sort of update. So uh, we want to pray for Jason and his wife, Laurie. And uh, we're also going to pray for another church in our community. So let's pray. God, this morning, first of all, we want to just ask you, beg you for uh, the recovery of a friend, Jason Spivey, Lord. We lift him up. We ask you to heal his body to um, quicken his brain so that he can engage and receive information and process information and begin to heal. Lord, we uh, place him and his, and his family in your hands. We place Park Street Baptist Church in your hands, a church that is gathering around this family. And um, Lord, we just beg you to be glorified in his healing. We are entrusting him to you and asking you for a miracle. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for another church in our community. We want to pray for uh, FBC Greenville. I want to pray for Roy Youngblood and for his family, Lord, first. I pray that you are blessing him in his home and his marriage and his relationships with family members, Lord, that he is, uh, that they are rich, that they are filling, and that they are encouraging, that they are uh, helpful as he goes about, about the work of, of pastoring FBC Greenville, Lord. We ask that you would bless him, that it would just overflow and spill over onto a people. Lord, we pray for FBC Greenville. We pray for health and growth and um, we pray for new life. We pray for li- both literally and spiritually. Lord, we pray for uh, um, that, that you would just give them all the great problems of growth and maturing and um, that they would disciple well, that they'd be faithful in the small things, Lord, and that you would make the big things uh, to your glory. Lord, we entrust that church to you this morning. Uh, Lord, also this morning I ask you just what I just shared with this people that that you would give us uh, something, that you would give us a view to something so profound that it would change us, that it would stir us, that it would uh, enlighten us, that it would open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see the, the, the wonderful good news that we have in Christ. I'm just turning this time over to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like for you to turn, if you would, to um, the book of Matthew, but only for a moment. Okay, we're in the book of Matthew. We started the book of Matthew a month or so ago, and we're only going to be there long enough to read one verse, and then we're going to go back to the Old Testament to try and make sense 
of this one verse. But as you're turning there, I want to share with you the spirit of what I'm hoping for this morning and really what I'm hoping for in this season, uh, a, a time of beholding. The word behold is used about 62 times in the book of Matthew. Okay, It's the Greek word edu, and it's used about 200 times in the New Testament. Most of the times that it's used, it's used in two books, Matthew and Luke. Okay, I'll tell you something about the Gospels. Maybe the most um, uh, detail-involved Gospels, that they're very much declaring, behold. The word's an interesting word. It's very difficult to translate. It's, it's a word, in fact, that actually in Hebrew, or excuse me, in Greek, we're talking about a Greek word, um, that is, is really more uh, almost what we would do with punctuation. The word is what we might do in a sentence if you're writing to, to a friend or you're sending an email or you're texting someone where you put an exclamation point at the end or where you bold the sentence or all cap the sentence or underline the sentence calling special attention to what you're saying there. And in some ways, the word behold, used so many times in the book of, books of Matthew and Luke, are telling us pay special attention to what's going down in these books. Very, very important words in these books. So I'm hoping and praying this morning that in these next few minutes that we will declare together this is really important and that we would pay special attention beholding together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There are three key figures in the genealogy in the first chapter in the book of Matthew. And obviously Christ is center. He's the centerpiece, not only the genealogy, but the entire gospel. But there are a couple of other figures that we've gotten to know. One is David. We got to know a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus is referred to as the son of David. So a couple of weeks ago, we considered what's the big deal about David? Why is that important for him to be called the son of David? So this morning, we're going to consider the second part of that title, the son of David. Abraham. We're going to get to know this guy, Abraham. Son of Abraham is only used three times in our New Testament. It's used in Luke's genealogy, and it's also used when Christ is referring to Zacchaeus as one of the sons of Abraham. Okay, he's not using it in a in a, a sense of like the the son of Abraham, but a son of Abraham. It's not a very common term, and we know enough so far about Matthew to know that Matthew doesn't waste words. So that's why it's worth us spending a morning trying to make sense of why Matthew, and we could say Luke as well, referred to Christ as the son of Abraham. So now you can turn way over to the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter 12. I'll give you a moment to turn there. The story of Abraham is where we're going to go this morning. We're going to um, spend the morning, most of the morning, I want to give you kind of an explanation of the distribution of work. We could say the distribution of listening this morning, the work of listening. Uh, the story of Abraham covers a lot of chapters, chapters 12 through 25. His call's in chapter 12, and his death is in 25. And we're not going to cover all those chapters and all that story. There's so much to share about Abraham that trying to condense this and distill this into something that's manageable has been quite a challenge. So here's the plan for the morning. We're going to look into three windows into the life of this guy named Abraham. Three specific windows to help us get to know him a bit, 
but also to help us make sense of why it's important that Jesus is referred to as the son of Abraham. Okay, so here's the work distribution. Uh, a 10K is 6.2 miles, okay? Um, uh, most of our work of unpacking these three stories of Abraham is going to be about five miles, okay? But the last mile is downhill, and we got the wind to our back, okay? So I'm telling you that because I want you to save some energy for that last mile, because okay, you're going to need it. And it's the best part, because then we'll cross the finish line together, and, ah, and we'll enjoy Jesus together, okay? All right, so just, just letting you know where the work is going to be distributed, or distributed, okay? All right, starting in chapter 12, and I'm actually going to start just a few verses in front of that at the end of chapter 11 for the sake of context, okay? We're going to spend the first window, we're going to look at the first window into Abraham's life looking at his call. Okay, so I'm going to begin actually technically in verse 27 of chapter 11. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milka, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milka, and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Okay, so the things I want you to sort of gather up here before we read uh, this first little window into the covenant promise with Abraham is that, first of all, um, and I'm going to use these names interchangeably. I'll probably use Abraham and Sarah more frequently. Abram, Abram was renamed later in the story from our reading this morning renamed Abraham. So if, if you're hearing this for the first time, those guys are the same guys. Okay, he's Abraham later in the story. He's Abram early on. And Sarai was renamed also as Sarah later on in the story. So I'll probably refer to her, unless I'm reading a passage, um, I'll refer to her as Sarah. Okay, so we've met Abram and we've met Sarai. We've met Abraham slash, uh, Abram, Abraham slash Sarai, Sarah. And we've also learned, discovered already that Sarah is barren. She is unable to have children. Now, I've had a long conversation with Luke about this and a brief conversation with Greg Fields. I wanted to know what their thoughts were about who they would visualize Abraham to be. Like, what actor? I mean, I think that's really important. So I had a long conversation with Luke about it last night, and Luke went with Liam Neeson. That was his first, first call, Liam Neeson. And then he moved on to Anthony Hopkins. And I thought Anthony Hopkins was pretty good. And that's where Greg landed as well, Anthony Hopkins. And I, I, I instead lean toward who I think scholars go with. And scholars don't actually go with this, but they should. If scholars were having this conversation, they would definitely go with Sean Connery. <laughs> this guy is Sean Connery all day long. Completely accent. I mean, he's exactly like Sean Connery, except different and ancient and not Sean Connery. Older guy, he's got some moxie, suave, smooth, smart, handsome even, but he even had that accent. You know, and think if I, connected to Sean Connery, I'm going to the place to really kind of consider what else happens in his story. Later on in the story of Abraham, he actually does some special operations. I mean, like some real special ops stuff. Like he does a hostage rescue of his pesky little nephew named Lot. I mean, he really does. That's, that's Sean Connery all day long. James Bond? I mean, anybody? Seriously, he's James Bond. And supposedly, Sarah 
was gorgeous, even at the age of 90. So I'm just going to say she would have made a great Bond girl. So from here on, I'm going to visualize. This fell very flat, people. I mean, y'all seriously. <laughs> I had a long conversation with a lot invested in this. Not as much as the sermon, granted, but a lot was invested in this. Man, what a flopper. All right, well, I'm going to visualize him as Sean Connery from this point on with his beautiful Bond girl, Sarah. Okay, uh, They were likely moon worshipers. Okay, Sarah's name, Sarai, actually is connected to, in some way, her name means something having to do with moon worship. And where he came from in Ur of the Chaldeans, that was a place where they apparently worshipped the moon. So he's likely a moon worshiper. Okay, he's married to a barren woman. He's called to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans to move via Haran to Canaan. And he's called by a God that he didn't know to go to a place he'd never been. I like to sort of personalize things, and I know I'm kind of joking around with the Sean Connery thing, and this might sound like it's a joke too, but it's not for me. I like to really give people names in tangible places. So I've given this guy kind of just, and I might refer to him over the course of the morning as a guy named Melvin from Dallas. Okay, he's got a wife named Marcia. Okay, and Melvin is called by God. Melvin, you go to a land that I'm going to show you. You're going to move to Sulphur Springs via Mesquite, a short stay in Mesquite until your dad passes away. Okay, I'm going to refer to them later on because I want you to get the warp and woof of a real man, Melvin, and a real woman, Marcia, and a real place. Uh, Ur of the Chaldeans apparently was like a metropolis, like a big city that was actually on the water, so Dallas doesn't work, but we'll just borrow Dallas. Okay, so here's what the promise, here's the content of this first window that we're going to spend uh, this first third on, the first couple of miles of our 10K in chapter 12, the first few verses. It's good. Let's listen. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I hope you're kind of paying attention to repeated words. I'm going to kind of point those out in a minute. But let me just show you this. There are seven parts to this promise. Okay, the first part, I will make you a great nation in verse 2. The second part, I will bless you also in verse 2. In verse 2, the third part, I will make your name great. Fourth, so that you will be a blessing. Fifth, I will bless those who bless you. Sixth, I will curse those who curse you or dishonor you. And seventh, all the families on the earth will be blessed in you. A couple things that I like to pay attention to when I'm unpacking a passage of Scripture is the verbs. Who's got the verbs here? God's got all the verbs. Okay, He's got the verbs start to finish. He's doing all of them. Even the making your name great so that you will be a blessing is still God ultimately behind it. Making his name great. People that struggle with the notion of God being completely and absolutely sovereign in the work of salvation need to read the rest of the story where he's absolutely and completely sovereign in the work of story and in the work of calling. Man, start to finish, God's got all the verbs here. Man. And here's what he tells them. God's going to make his name great. He's going to make Abram a great nation. And think about this for a moment. He's one guy with a wife and no kids. He's just Melvin and Marcia. 
and I'm going to make you a great nation. Man, he's not even a village. He's just a couple with a little nephew that's hanging out with him named Lot. And God's going to make his name great. He's a no-name from Dallas. He's got no uh, standing in Ur. He's not a special, like, citizen. He's not like the mayor's son or anything like that. He is literally Melvin from Dallas. And he's a brother to a guy named Heron who's dead, and he's uncle to a high-maintenance nephew named Lot. And God's going to make him into a great nation and a great people and give them a great name. Man, it's an important passage. But if you were paying attention to repeated words, I hope you noticed the number of times that the word bless or a version of bless was used in that passage. We could spend months studying the covenant made with Abraham. All we're going to do this morning is just consider that, that sort of the essence of it, that it is a covenant of blessing. Did you see it? It's used five times in the passage. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed. I like the thought of understanding what a word means. Okay, I don't want to read a word that, and just use a word without understanding what it means, especially a word like this. If we're going to study the essence of this covenant and understand the essence of the promise, we need to understand what this word means. Blessing means. In Hebrew, it's the word barak. It's a word that's very difficult to define. I was studying this word over the course of the week, and, and I found a, 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 a site that was developing this picture of it being a, sort of a, um, a concept, an abstract concept more than a definition. And the way to, to, to try and figure out if something is an abstract concept is draw the definition. And it showed a picture of a guy sitting over a piece of paper. He's got like sweat coming down his face and he's trying to draw it and it's just like a scribble. You can't draw the word blessing. It's an abstract thought. And granted, we're leaning into an ancient word to try and make sense of it. But I want us to do it. I want us to do the best we can to try and make sense of this word because it's important. All right, first of all, it comes from parent word. For the word to fill, to feed, and to fatten, the word bar. Okay, the whole word together for blessing is barak. But the parent word is the word bar. It means to fill, to feed, and to fatten. Okay, that gives us a little bit of a sense of what's going on here, but not much. We're going to kind of look at it from a different direction now, and we're going to look at actually the three central letters in the word barak. The, the letter bait, the letter resh, and the letter kaf. And we're going to look at pictograms for those words. Go ahead and put up my first picture of a tent. This is the, the word bait. Uh, it gives the, this image of a tent, this picture of shelter and fellowship among those on the inside. It's experiencing unity and togetherness on the inside. This picture of the word bait. Okay, next, let's put this next picture up there. This is the resh. This is a picture of a head of a man to be above or rule over. Okay, those two letters taken together, the bait and the resh, give a picture of a family of heads. It's probably hard to envision a family of heads, but maybe you can envision in this because this whole word connects to the concept of grain, to filling, to be full. Put that next picture of this. This grain, specifically this is rye that I've um, uh, provided here, a picture of rye. A family of heads 
like a head of grain, a gathering of seeds. Okay, the last part of the word is the word or the letter kaf. And this is pictured by a hand bending. So you can put my hand up there. Like to receive something. Okay? So we've got three things. We've got a tent, this picture of shelter, togetherness, unity. We've got this word raish, the picture of a head of a man. Taken together, we've got another picture that we can include here, like a head of wheat, a gathering of seeds, a gathering of heads. And then the letter kaf, the picture of a hand bending to receive something. Now, taken together, go ahead and put that last, that next to last. The last picture will be for later on in the morning. That next picture up there is a picture of a guy kneeling down to help his kid zip up their jacket. Okay, and I want you to envision this. Taking this together, this picture of blessing, it means to kneel down and give an overflowing, reproducing gift that's received in the hand. Very difficult word to define, but a great word to visualize through some of these images. So, God blessing Abraham. You can take that picture down for now. God blessing Abraham gives the picture of God kneeling. Okay, just take this in for a minute. If that doesn't strike you just for a moment, just consider what I just said. This picture of God kneeling. We're talking figuratively. God kneeling in this blessing to Abraham. Stooping down to bless Abram with something. Kneeling and stooping to give a no-name guy from Ur a gift of full and overflowing hands and hands that are so full and overflowing that he himself will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Man, we could just stop right there and say, what else even is the church if not that? (laughs) We're gonna come back to this later on in the morning and just say, what does it have to do with Jesus? But do we even really need to for after that? Man. God's stooping to give no names, a gift of overflowing hands, hands so full that we ourselves are a blessing to all the families of the earth. Man, amen, right? Gracious, man, it travels. Abraham, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. Okay, the second window. Fast forward a few pages over to chapter 15. The second window into Abraham. There's after, uh, the, the chapter 15 begins with these words. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Okay, these things, just a few of them, you can look at the headings in your Bible. I hope you do this from time to time. Is you can make some shortcuts there and gather up the, the details. You can get sort of a bird's eye view As we're flipping through these pages, you see there's famine in the promised land. All right, take that in. I'm going to give you this land, Abram, this land that I want you to go to, that I'm going to show you. And right after you get there, there's famine. (laughs) Okay, there's famine in the promised land. So he has to make a trip to Egypt. And after Abraham and Lot, after that, Abraham and Lot pick where they're going to live. They return to, to Canaan. They pick where they're going to live. Lot says, man, I really like that Sodom, Gomorrah area over there. And Abraham says, okay, I'll take this place over here. Okay, they split up. Also, what happens coming up to this this section is uh, Abraham has to bail out and do some James Bond moves to get his high-maintenance nephew 
um, away from the title kings. I'm just telling you, there's no way Liam Neeson could pull that off. Definitely not Anthony Hopkins. He could take down a bear, but he couldn't do that. This is huge. This guy was very, very capable. But we're fast-forwarding sometime around the 10-year window. Okay, it's 10 years or less, but I'm going to say it's leaning closer to 10 years, to chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Abram was called at the age of 75. So he's about 85 or so here in this chapter 15 window. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, okay, uh, we're 10 years into this thing. <laughs> I've gone through famine. Um, I'm not really possessing the land that you promised me. You said my name, or uh, I'm going to be a great nation, and yet it's still pretty much just me and Sarah and Knucklehead Lot. Okay? Okay, God, whatever you say. Um, but Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Eleazar was his main servant. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Okay, at this point, if you're new to this story, if you're just climbing into this story, you know nothing about Abraham or Abram slash Abraham, then hopefully at this point you're going, Well, how in the world is this going to happen? He's promised him this land. He's promised him all these offspring. How in the world is this going to happen? See, we have the problem of knowing the rest of the story. But hopefully at least we can just sort of imagine and go, what would he be thinking? We know that he's wondering how in the world this is going to happen. He's saying, you've made some great and huge promises to me, and we're 10 years into this thing, and yet I still sit here empty-handed. How in the world are you going to do this? The heir right now in my home is, oh, Eleazar. He's great and all, but I've got no offspring. Okay, and then pick back up in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Eleazar is not going to be the answer to my promises. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Look at the, and, and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram, a son will be the answer to how these promises are, will be fulfilled. I will give you a son that will be born to unlikely parents in an unlikely land. Man, he's 75 when this call comes. He's told to go to move to a place he's never been by a God that he didn't know. And about 10 years or so later, he still has no child, and God has promised him, you're going to have as much offspring, as many offspring as the stars in the heavens. Man, it's hard to really make sense of. If you can climb into his story and imagine how you might feel hearing promises from God and hear 10 years later, still nothing to really show for it. Okay, fast forward a couple of chapters. This fast forwards to he's 99 years old. Look at chapter 17. This will be about 14 years or so later. Beginning in verse 15. 
God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. I, you know, I don't imagine that, that Abraham is going to roll his eyes at God, but I can't imagine that I wouldn't be a little bit tempted at that point. It's 24 years after he's been promised to have a son and a nation. 24 years later, he still doesn't have a whole lot to show for it. Okay, here he is being promised yet again. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. (laughs) He laughed and he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? I wonder if he's, maybe at the age of 75, I could have pulled that off. But I'm 100 now. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That's a whole other story of their attempt to fulfill God's plan and God's promises. That didn't work out so well. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And look down at verse 21. I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Isaac is promised yet again, and Abraham laughs. Look at the next chapter, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 18. The chapter begins with a theophany. The Lord appears to uh, Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. And in verse 9, the Lord is actually sharing with him, uh, and the Lord had some companions with him. He says, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, in case we've forgotten that. (laughs) Like old. Advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, in case we'd forgotten that. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Man, remember, we're talking about real people here. We're talking about real people that have heard some very real promises. They've been walking with God for 24 years at this point, 24 years with periodic reminders of here's what I'm going to give you and here's how it's going to be accomplished. Man, I bet they had periods where they cried. I bet they had periods where they were mad. And now they're in the laughing phase. Okay, I was sad about this early on when there's no child. And then I was mad about it for a while. And now really all I can do to cope with it is just I'm going to laugh about it. It's so ridiculous. And this promise has been going on so long, I'm just going to laugh about it. Abraham, I'm promising you this land. Oh, by the way, it's occupied. Just imagine someone promises you a house. And they put you in your car to come show you the house. And you pull up in front of the house. And the big pane, window pane on the front shows a family inside having a meal, enjoying fellowship. And you're like, ah, it looks kind of occupied. 
And it doesn't look like they're moving. He promises them a land, and he promises them a child. And, oh, by the way, you're barren and old, and 24 years have gone by. Just consider the potential for restlessness. Anybody? The potential for restlessness. Consider the disconnect and the distance between the promise and fulfillment. Consider the tension between what they're hearing and what they're actually seeing. Is it wonder this guy made the faith chapter in Hebrews? This guy was called to leave everything and promised everything, but so far has really experienced none of it. I've thought about what it must be like for uh, Sarah during that 25-year period. You know, she's I've just kind of envisioned her inside her house. You know, I don't know what kind of house, facility, you know, structure they lived in, but she's inside the house. She's washing the dishes. I've envisioned her humming maybe a few words to it. Oh, come, oh, come, promised child. While she's washing dishes. Maybe Abraham is out in the yard hoeing, planting, plowing. Come thou long expected someone. Man, can you feel the sadness? Can you feel the tension? But then comes chapter 21. Man, let's look. Mm. Chapter 21, in the fullness of time, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Man, that's good medicine. Thank you. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old, in case we had forgotten that, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. That's what Isaac means, laughter. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Uh. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. A child is born in the fullness of time on God's terms at God's time. A long-awaited and promised child. A miracle birth, mind you, born to an old man and an old woman. The Lord visited Sarah and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son at the age of of a hundred. Man, what a beautiful window. Things are looking so good, right? I mean, they're kind of old, but they finally got that kid, right? Things are looking so good. That's the second window. Here's the third window. We would hope and imagine that they'd be living happily ever after from this point on. They finally have this promised child, but then comes chapter 22, Here's the third window into the life of Abraham. Okay, we're in mile four. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, in case you'd forgotten that you don't have more. He didn't even name Ishmael. He didn't even count him as a number. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, in case you'd forgotten that, Abraham, and go to the land of Moriah. And I'm just imagining Abraham hearing this. And You want me to go camping? You want me to go on a fishing trip? That sounds awesome. Isaac probably would have been a young teenager at this time. Okay? It says boy, but the word also means young man. He would have had to be old enough to carry some wood because he's going to need some wood in a minute. Man, that'd be exciting. Yeah, you want me to go fishing and camping? You want me to have a kind of nice special time? You want us to go do a, do a walkabout in the land of Moriah? That sounds awesome. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. Wow. Man. 25 years of pining. You go from crying to mad to laughing, and now you have that promised child. The fulfillment and the means of the promises that God made to you, that sevenfold promise. And now I want you to go sacrifice him. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Man, he didn't even tarry. He didn't even sleep in. He rises early in the morning, saddles his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son, his only son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife so they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, uh, Dad, <laughs> I don't see any fishing poles. Where's the tent? My father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb of a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I just can't imagine he didn't do that really slow. Like really slowly, like, okay, God, I'm doing this. Man, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord calls him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Man. Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behold him, there's a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram. I bet he took him like a boss. And he offered, I cannot see my page here. He offered him up. All right, sorry. He offered him up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the, na- or the place of the Lord, called the, the name of the place, the Lord will provide as it, sa- as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Man, what an amazing story. Go offer up your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Offer him there as a burnt offering. Go to a place of which I shall tell you, the place of which God told him. God had a specific mountain in mind in the land of Moriah, which we believe to be the same place that Solomon built his temple, the same mount. So he rises early in the morning, eager to obey. And in verse 8, he tells his son, God will provide. It would be a good name for God, wouldn't it? Turns out it actually is a name for God. He names the place later on. The Lord will provide on the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. You've heard the term maybe Jehovah Jireh. I want to help you refine that a little bit. Jehovah is not God's name. His name is Yahweh. Jehovah is taking the consonants of Yahweh and the, the uh, vowels of Adonai and superimposing the vowels into, into the continents to make a whole new name. Jehovah. It's not his name. It'd be like you call me Bill. His name is Yahweh. Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. Man, that's a good name for him right here at this moment. Man, he sees this knife and he sees the face of his son. He's about to take his life, yet Yahweh Jireh provides just in time. On the mount of the Lord, he provides. So Abraham and his son Isaac returned to the two young men left with the donkey, both of them. God provided a lamb in the thicket. Okay, we're mile, mile five, last, last mile. And it's downhill with the wind to our back. Three ways Jesus the Messiah is the son of Abraham, first of all, Jesus is the promise-fulfilling son. I have a couple of passages left. This is really the only passage I'm going to have you turn to for the rest of the morning, but I want you to see it. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to give you a moment to see this. You need to see it. Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus is the promise-fulfilling Son. You remember this picture of blessedness, this Barak, this picture of God kneeling and stooping and filling, receiving hands full of grain. I want you to think about that as I read this passage. Go ahead and put that last picture up there, Ethan. I want you to visualize this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, 
I actually had a, one of those, is it a GIF or a GIF? What is it? GIF? I, I had a GIF of grain being poured, oh, thank you, Key, of being poured into somebody's hands, but I thought that'd be too gimmicky. But I kind of wish I had it right now because I want you to see this thing just pouring as I read this passage. Grain being poured into hands, receiving full and overflowing blessing. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Can you hear the grain falling to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth? In him we have obtained an inheritance. You hear it falling, just filling your hands, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This grain, this gushing forth in the person and work of Jesus Christ, His surprising choice, our adoption, our redemption, forgiveness of our sin, insight into his will. An inheritance. Hearing the truth. Believing him. All these things are gifts from him. Grain falling into receiving hands. And then lastly, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, the guarantee that this thing is forever. Man, I like Isaac. But none of those things were accomplished in Isaac. He just furthered the line. All of those things, all of those promises are realized in the person and work of Jesus. He is our blessing One of the things that I think is hard for us, that I think will help us, Abraham and Sarah can help us, is we hear hear promises like this, and it's pointed out, these are spiritual blessings. You're like, hey, I see all these spiritual blessings. We had a series in Ephesians on these spiritual blessings. And man, they're gushing. Yeah, their hands full. But yet my eyes are still seeing some stuff that don't look like blessing at all. We've got health issues that are like, Merit, marital, marital issues that are like, <laughs> that looks bad. Relationship issues that look like, <laughs> man, that doesn't look good. We see this, this disparity, this tension between promises and stuff that we're seeing. And man, you can look back to Abraham and we can join Abraham who just every time relentlessly just said, okay, I believe. I believe you, God. So we together, knowing that Christ is the fulfillment of these promises, can believe together. A time is coming when this kingdom that is broken in through the person and work of Christ will be realized fully. It's not yet, but it's coming. 
The promise says there will be no more pain, no more death, no more tears. You won't even have to have faith anymore. Because <laughs> you'll be seeing him. You won't need faith anymore because he'll be with you. You'll be with him. Man, he is the blessing. Christ is the blessing. Our Father stooped to give us him. Secondly, Jesus is the anticipated and long-awaited son. There's an old friend of mine in Luke chapter 2, and I've kind of thought about this. He and his, his um, partner, I don't know if they even knew each other. I thought about these two as sort of a New Testament, Abraham and Sarah, who waited for 25 years. They waited for 25 years. Israel pined for 2,000 years waiting for the first advent of Christ. And man, I've thought about these two friends of mine. Here's the first one. His name is Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Humming. He goes to the temple every day. Come thou long expect. He made a deal with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, don't take me until I see the Christ child. So Simeon's humming. He's devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. Humming. I don't know that he was humming. But it's a great image. Man, is he here? Is it today? When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms like a boss. I bet it like scared Joseph and Mary to death. What in the world is happening here? This guy, Simeon. And he blessed God and said, Lord, now you, are, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You can just hear him. The promised child is here. So that's the Abram, Abraham. And then there's a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years. She's also old, just like Sarah. Had lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day, humming. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Putting words to it, boy. She's worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to the Lord and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Waiting. These people were pining and waiting 
for the Christ that we now know, that we now walk with by faith, and we pine to together waiting for his return. That's what Advent is. We celebrate the first Advent, and we pine for the second. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Long-awaited son. Man, I love this. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham and Sarah of a son. It wasn't Isaac. Isaac was a shadow. He's but a shadow of the substance that is Christ. He is the long-awaited fulfillment of the promises made to Abram. Born to a barren couple is just the picture of being born to a barren people. And ultimately being born to a barren world. Man, the last window, or the last little application is so brief, but it's so sweet. As Abraham led Isaac up the mount of the Lord's choosing, so the son, the long-awaited son of God, was led to Calvary. That Genesis 22 story is the story all over again in the sacrifice of a loved son and only son. But this time there's no lamb in the thicket. Right? He is the lamb. God the Father sacrificed his only son to fill your hands with grain. Man. Let's pray. Yahweh Jireh. Ah, uh, you provided. You have provided so well for a barren, hopeless, helpless, unlikely people. Lord, we celebrate with Simeon and Anna, but we pine as new Simeons and new Annas for the return of our Savior, your Son. Between now... Between now and then, help us walk by faith and not by sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.